But tonight we're going through Psalms 25. And I don't know about you guys, but this question comes up in my life a lot. What am I to do? What choice should I make? Do I go left? Do I go right? What do I do? If I make the wrong choice, how does it affect me later on down the road in my life? If I, if I choose the right choice, how do I know it's the right choice, right? We, we're faced with decisions. So before we get any further, let's ask the Lord to reveal his word to us to help us be better decision makers. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, as we turn to your word and we turn to the book of Psalms, I ask that you would speak to us from your word, Father God. Speak to us the truth of your word. And Lord, may it bring a light to our life, a guiding light. We know as we read that your word is a lamp unto our feet, Lord. Show us how that works. Show us how that is, Father God. And then, Lord, I pray that your spirit would give us courage of spirit, boldness to follow and to obey your word, to make that a reality in our life, Father God, so that we can know what we're to do based on your wisdom and your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to throw some math at you all. We have to make decisions in life. We, we know that, right? Every single one of us, especially adults, we know we have to make decisions. And as adults, we know that our decisions can have impact for future days. There are some decisions I made in high school that continue to affect me to this day. Now, some sources suggest that the average person will make about 35,000 choices and decisions per day. Assuming you sleep for about seven hours, most of us try to get eight, but seven hours is about the average, they say. That means 2,000 decisions per hour, or even more finely refined, that's one decision every two seconds. And you and I have been given free will and a multitude of choices in life. What to eat, what to wear, where do we spend our money? What jobs and careers are we going to pursue? How should we vote? Who do we spend our time with? What are we going to say? How will we say it? And it goes on and on and on and on. There's plenty of decisions that we make. Every choice we make carries with it consequences, good or bad. The ability to choose, what an exciting, incredible power we've been given from our Lord and Creator. We've been entrusted with that. Being entrusted with that, though, we have an obligation to be good stewards of it. Now, I'm not trying to say that we need to pray before we choose what we're going to wear for the day, and we need to ask God to pick out the perfect outfit for us or anything. I'm talking about the bigger decisions. You see, 20th century philosopher Albert Camus said, life is a sum of all your choices. 35,000 choices a day makes 12,775,000 choices a year. If we extrapolate that over the general assumed course of a life spanning about 70 years, it comes out to 894,250,000 choices or just shy of a billion choices. You put all those choices together and according to Albert Camus, that is who you are. The reality of it is many of those choices don't make up who you are. It's the choices made in the hard circumstances of life. The choices made that take longer than two seconds to decide. The choices that we make to follow what we discern possibly to be God's will. Those choices that we make that we, that we fret over, that we worry over, that we an are anxious over. Those decisions that affect us and those around us. How do we make these tough decisions? Especially that are born out of times of difficulty. How do we make the right choice when we're not even in the right frame of mind? Those times where we just don't know what, what are we to do? Where do we turn when we're faced with the questions of what am I to do? Well, that's what we're faced with here tonight in Psalm 25. Psalm of David, in which David is coming to the Lord in complete and total dependence upon him. It is a, David's heart as a God-fearing man on display in a season of crisis. 
and a season of hard times. This psalm pictures life and its choices as a difficult journey that we cannot navigate successfully on our own. And it was said by psychologist M. Scott Peck, he said, once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept that, then life is no longer difficult. David knew that the path of life is not easy. So let's see where he turned when faced with the question of what am I to do? Starting in verse 1, it says, Lord, I appeal to you. My God, I trust in you. Do not let me be disgraced. Do not let my enemies gloat over me. No one who waits for you will be disgraced. Those who act treacherously without cause will be disgraced. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. Remember, Lord, your compassion and your faithful love, for they have existed from antiquity. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my acts of rebellion. In keeping with your faithful love, remember me because of your goodness, Lord. The Lord is good and upright, and therefore he shows sinners the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth to those who keep his covenant and decrees. Lord, for the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity, for it is immense. Who is this person who fears the Lord? He will show him the way he should choose. He will live a good life and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him and he reveals his covenant to them. My eyes are always on the Lord for he will pull my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me for I am alone and afflicted. The distresses of my heart increase. Bring me out of my sufferings. Consider my affliction and trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies. They are numerous. They hate me violently. Guard me and rescue me. Do not let me dis be disgraced, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and what is right watch over me, for I wait for you. God, redeem Israel from all its distresses. When you're faced with those hard times and those choices in life, what am I to do? As we look at the example of David and we see where he's at, I want us to see, number one, we trust in God alone. We can't look to government to give us the answer of what to choose. We can't look to our neighbor to tell us what it is that we choose. We can't, you know, sometimes we can't even look to our spouse to tell us what it is that we should choose. We have to go to God. But that's with a caveat that those who follow God just as closely and just as desiring to know his will, they can give you good counsel. But those who are far from God are the worst places to get counsel from. Look at what David said in the first three verses. He said, Lord, I appeal to you. My God, I trust in you. Do not let me be disgraced. Do not let my enemies gloat over me. No one who waits for you will be disgraced. Those who act treacherously without cause will be disgraced. Now, it can't be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, at least not this side of heaven. God will probably give us the exact date it was written. But David could have potentially written this psalm after his sin, not only with Bathsheba, but also after what happened with his daughter that he chose not to do anything with, causing his son Absalom to take matters into his own hands, leading Absalom to choose to rebel against the kingdom of David. And we're... we're we may not all be familiar with that, but King David, he's known as a great king over Israel, but he had issues. He was not necessarily the perfect father. His kids were known to get away without being disciplined and whatnot. And his son Absalom, which is one of his sons that tried to usurp the kingdom. The other one happens later with Solomon. He tries to usurp the throne from Solomon. But it throws him into this rebellion 
in which David is again fleeing for his life. And as he's fleeing for his life, what we find is that they actually taunt him and they, and they tell him that he deserves it because blood is on his hands. What a terrible, difficult, and confusing time for David. Instilled and anointed as God's king over Israel, facing this trouble of rebellion from his own son and the people who once sang his praises over his victories and whatnot and his closeness with the Lord, now saying, you deserve this. Where does he go? He shows great trust in God because he comes to the Lord. And I want you to know the way that he comes to the Lord, there's, there's not a special ritual or a special ceremony. There's not a special place he went to other than in his heart where he prayed to the Lord. It's through prayer that David comes to the Lord in trust. It's through prayer that we come before the Lord in trust. In his trouble, David says, Lord, I appeal to you. And that phrase is quite interesting. When you appeal to someone, it indicates a desire to arouse a sympathetic response in order to make an earnest request. To appeal is related to take a lower court decision to a higher court for review. That's why we have an appellate court. It's the court of appeals. Lastly, when we appeal, we call upon another for cooperation, vindication, or for decision. The, the original language indicates David is saying, to you, Lord, instead of appeal, it would be, I lift my soul. The word for appeal is the Hebrew word essa, and it means to raise from a lower to a higher position, to lift up, to raise high. Basically saying, I value your leading. I value your input. I value what you tell me, God. You see, so many times other people turn to different things. They may turn to horoscopes, astrology, tarot cards, other means of divination to make their decisions. Maybe they roll the dice. But these are only manufactured substitutes for the all-powerful, living, true, loving God. Those are all false idols that people are turning to that actually discern nothing. David is lifting his heart to the Lord, and he's the only one true source of decision. You see, in the dark and confusing hours of life when we don't know what we're to do, we must lift ourselves and appeal to our God because there is no higher authority. He has the last word in everything. We have to find our encouragement and our strength in our Lord God. And here's in 1 Samuel 30 verse 6. This is where David is in the midst of that rebellion from his son Absalom. And it says, here's how he's received. David was in an extremely difficult position because the troops talked about stoning him. For they were all very bitter over the loss of their sons and daughters. But David didn't despair. He found strength in the Lord his God. It's been said by many that if the outlook is bleak, try the uplook. David continues on, he says, my God, I trust in you. I believe in, I place my faith, I am in full confidence of you. And the list ends there. He doesn't say, well, I trust in God and I also trust in my trusty uh, sidekick and, uh, you know, my best friend and no, he trusts in God and God alone. And in his trust, David says, do not let me be disgraced. And it's not because he doubts that God is going to be there for him, but he's basically repeating what he knows God would truly do. He won't allow him to be disgraced. He won't let his enemies gloat. He won't let them have victory or power over him. He even declares, he says, no one who waits for you will be disgraced. Now, disgraced is in the sense of being ashamed, embarrassed, or full of remorse. It's especially in connection with what they were trusting in. 
kind of like, oh, I trusted in this chair, but it fell on me, and now I'm on the floor. That sense of embarrassment. David stressed his confidence in turning to the Lord. He lifted his soul without shame, confidently declares the truth that no one who waits upon the Lord will be put to shame, but the one who waits upon the Lord and hopes in and trusts in confidently in regards to the future, the Lord will meet their needs and answer the one who waits upon him. No one's going to be let down or disappointed coming to find, oh no, I trust in something unworthy. Because God truly is worthy of our trust. Isaiah 49, 23, Kings will be your guardians and their queens, your nursing mothers. They will bow down to you with their faces to the ground and lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who put their hope in me will not be put to shame. Paul reiterates the same idea in Romans 5. Romans 5, 5, he says, as he's talking about our, our difficult circumstances and situations in Romans 5, 4, then he comes and he says that character produces hope. And hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And you'll see throughout this psalm that David talks about waiting upon the Lord several times. And waiting upon the Lord isn't sitting there doing nothing. You see, waiting upon the Lord, it's not passive. To wait upon the Lord is to be active. It's active in service to the Lord. It's not the idea of a waiting room, but it's the waiting like of a server. Attending the needs of the one being served. It's us attentively serving God continually while waiting for the Lord to act on our behalf. But notice what he says. He says, those who act treacherously without cause, they will be disgraced. I would even say you might mark in there that says, those who take matters into their own hands, those who try to control the situation, manipulate the situation, they will be disgraced. So we put our trust in God alone, but we have to seek the Lord's path. It's one thing to trust God and he illuminates a path for us. It's another, th it's another thing to go, Lord, I trust in you and I want you to do it this way. We have to find out how God's doing it. In verses four through 11, we see David say, make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth. Teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. Remember, Lord, your compassion and your faithful love, for they have existed from antiquity. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my acts of rebellion. In keeping with your faithful love, remember me because of your goodness, Lord. The Lord is good and upright, and therefore he shows sinners the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth to those who keep his covenant and decrees. Lord, for the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity, for it is immense. Who is this person who fears the Lord? He will show him the way he should choose. He will live a good life and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him and he reveals his covenant to them. So I think in order to avoid acting treacherously in hard times, the way we keep from taking matters in our own hands and following worldly wisdom that says the ends justify the means or that says we need to seek vengeance when vengeance is the Lord's and the Lord's alone, we see David, he turned to God and he's seeking to know God's ways. God, how would you handle this? God, what would you do? What would you have me do? It makes no sense to turn to God if we're going to keep going our own way. We have to seek God's ways. David asked God, make your ways known to me. He asked the Lord, teach me your paths. And this indicates that God's ways 
they require instruction. They require learning. In order to make right decisions and follow the right path, you have to be headed the right way. We know in scripture that there's two paths in life. And unfortunately, it is true what they say that all roads lead to God. But not all roads lead to favor with God. You may get before God, but you may not want to stand before him in your own unrighteousness. There's only one path that's the right path, and that's the path of righteousness. No one, no one happens upon that path by mistake or accident. That path is a learned path. That path is a path that has to be shown. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. This is so important for us to take down that he repeats it again in Proverbs 16. He says, there is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. And is this not what our Lord said when he was on earth teaching and speaking? Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Many of us don't underline this verse in our Bible, but it would remind us that the road is difficult. And because your life is difficult, that doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. It may actually mean that you are on the right path. Instruction and guidance is being emphasized because in order to be on the right path, we need it. David says, guide me in your truth. Teach me. And he says this with full confidence. Why? Because he says, for as a matter of factly, God shows sinners the way. But you know what that requires from us? We have to come to God as sinners. We can't come to God and say, I'm fine, God. I know what I'm doing. We have to come to God and say, I'm lost without you. I'm hopeless without you. And then God will show us the way because he receives the humble while rejecting the proud. The word of God and the revealed truth of God, those are the main instruments that God uses to instruct, to teach, and to guide. In Exodus 18.20, it was said, instruct them about the statutes and the laws and teach them the way to live and what they must do. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. You can almost add in parenthesis there, and know the right path. The psalmist also writes in Psalm 32, I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel, says the Lord. Here's the hard part for us. The Lord instructs us, but he instructs us through his word. And if you want to know God's guidance, get in his word. If you don't spend time in God's word, it's no wonder you can't find the path that God has for you. You have to spend time in his word. You have to know it. He has to be speaking to you from it. You have to be instructed in it. But it is not enough to be instructed. Seeking the way of the Lord does nothing if he guides us, but we choose not to follow. Right? He can walk us down the right path, and as he goes that way, say, I wonder where he's going. And we just keep walking in our own way. We, we will get off that path right away. Obedience is another attribute that's necessary. You want to seek the Lord's path? He'll reveal it to you, but you got to obey and walk on that path. 
David knew this. He says, show me the path, show me the way, because he cho- he, he's intending to follow it and he wants to walk in it. David says in verse 10, all the Lord's ways show faithful love. This is why we should want to obey. When he reveals the path to us, it's not like the Lord is like, hey, check this out. I've laid this trap for them. I'm going to watch them fall in it now. No, God is leading us down the path that is good for us, that is part of his faithful love for us, his has said love, that faithful, active, strong, never-ending love that he has for us. But it's only to those who keep his covenant and his decrees. It's only those who keep what is summed up as the law or the Torah later expanded to be the law and the prophets and what we now know as our holy scriptures that we have both the new covenant and the old covenant, the new Testament and the old Testament. We have to follow these words. Those two words in the word of God speak of obedience. Since David turned to the Lord trusting in him only, it's not a huge leap to trust in obedience, is it? we're going to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I trust you. We have to have the actions that follow the words. So David meditated on the position of the Lord. This will help with your obedience. Meditate on the position of the Lord. Meditate on how God is our God of salvation. If he saved us, why would he then lead us somewhere that is bad for us? We have to trust God that the one who saved us, who didn't have to, by the way, he was under no obligation to do it. He chose to do it because he's good. Because he's forgiving. Because he has mercy. He's not going to lead us down the wrong road for giggles. If he can be trusted for salvation, why not in guidance and instruction? David also meditated on the character of God in verse 8. He says the Lord is good and upright. And we remember that these two words denote moral excellence and moral rightness. God is not a capricious God who is looking to get even. God is not a God who is going to do wickedness just for the sheer fun of it. He is a God who does no wickedness whatsoever. He is God, he is light, and there is no shadow in him. He always says and always does what is right. And a God who always does what is right and always does what is good is a God who can be trusted to guide those who obey his word. Elizabeth Elizabeth Elliot, wife of a famed missionary martyr, wrote a lot on guidance Jim Elliott was her husband. He was the martyred in the last century or so. And she said, does it make sense to pray for guidance about the future if we are not obeying the thing that lies before us today? How many momentous events in scripture depended on one person's seemingly small act of obedience? Rest assured Do what God tells you to do now and depend upon it and you will be shown what to do next. It's important to obey. It's not enough to know. But what we do know must be applied. It must be put into practice for our lives or it's useless to us. And God is only going to show us where we're at right now. When we take that step and we take that step of obedience, then he shows us the next step. How does one begin to obey though? Maybe, maybe we're realizing, you know what? That speaks to my heart. I've been reading this and I've been fighting with God on it and going, I don't really want to do that. But then complaining because, hey God, this is all messed up in my life. And he's kind of like, well, I've been trying to tell you. And now we're like, Okay, I want to obey. So how do I obey? In verse 9, David shares how obedience begins with those who are humble. The path of the Lord is found in the mercy of the Lord. 
David calls upon the Lord. He says, remember your compassion and faithful love. He says, they've existed since antiquity. He says, remember your compassion and faithful love. And in contrast to remembering your faithful love and compassion, David says, forget my sin and my rebellion. See, Horn, Bible commentator Horn stated, when God remembers his mercy, he forgets our sin. David invites the Lord to remember him. But he didn't say, Lord, remember me because remember all those cool things I did for you. Lord, remember me because of all the things I did in your name and for your name. David says, remember me in keeping with yours, Lord, your faithful love. Remember me, Lord, because of your goodness. We can never come before God and demand anything. We cannot stand before God and say, you owe me. But we can come before God and say, God, I am a sinner. I am a wretched person and I'm lost again and I need your help. And he will respond and he will come and he will remember us and he will forget our sins as we come before him saying, Lord, forgive me. I messed up. I'm sorry. I've sinned. David knows he doesn't have any reason to stand before the Lord in his own right. But since he's learned of the Lord and he's been walking in the path of the Lord, as he's shown it, he's approaching on that path of mercy and humility before God. He says, for the sake of your name, Lord, forgive the iniqu- my iniquity. And he says, for is it immense. I would say, Lord, forgive my sins because like they're, they're, they're just like little sins, Lord. Like just like, it's not even that big of a deal. But David says, forgive my sins because they're immense. And it's not just because he's committed the sins of murder or anything like that. What David is doing is he's comparing his sin with a holy God. He comes right on the path with right application and obedience, asking and seeking forgiveness of the Lord. And he's not asking for ignorance of his sin. He's not asking for excuse for his sin. He's not even asking the Lord to shrink his sin. You see, forgiveness for sin is found when we rightly identify our sin and its greatness, its immensity. Our sin is great for several reasons. It's great because of whom it is against. Our sin is great because it is against just and fair, moral, righteous laws. Our sin is great for we are image bearers of our God, marring his name. And our sin is great just because of the sheer number and volume of our iniquities, of our rebellions, of our transgressions, of our breaking of his law, of our turning from his ways. But you know what? Freedom and peace comes from acknowledging our sin before a merciful, loving, forgiving God. And the greater that we see our sin as being, the greater our Savior will be to us as well. When we see our sin as immense, we see our Savior as even greater than that. And the fact that he loved us and forgave us and gave his life for us. We see instruction, obedience, and mercy, and it comes together in one who is humble, one who fears the Lord. And we know that the fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge what Proverbs tells us. The fear of the Lord that teaches wisdom. The fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches and humility comes before honor. And then in Proverbs 30, 31, 31, 30, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. You see, the fear of the Lord is the awe at the majesty 
of God. It's not cowering in fear of God. It's standing in silence and utter awe of his awesomeness. The reverence of greatness. Fear of the Lord comes when we realize who God is in in entirety and what he's done for us. The mark of one who fears the Lord is one who's humble before God. And God leads and instructs those who fear him. And God also reveals his secret counsel and his covenant to them. We want God to reveal things to to us, but we have to come before him in that fear and that reverence and that awe in which we take him as greater than anyone else. And it's been said that the only way to stop fearing man is to start fearing God. God leads and instructs those who fear him and God reveals his secret counsel and his covenant to them. We know this in the New Testament as well from Paul. It says the person without the spirit does not receive what comes from God's spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it because it's evaluated spiritually. But God leads those who fear him. He includes them in what he's doing. He directs them. And those who fear the Lord are led and directed and included with him. Don't expect that God is going to guide you and direct you and reveal himself to you if you don't fear him. God is not a genie in which we say in Jesus' name and we rub our Bibles and we get the things that we want. We're relating to the creator, God, the true and living God, a holy God, a God full of majesty and full of glory, completely untouched by sin, transgression, or anything of the like. It's only when we fear him, only when we get to know him as he's revealed himself, that we will receive his instruction and his guidance. You see, It's only those who fear God who will stick to the Lord's path anyway. All others will be driven from the path by whatever else they fear. Lastly, we see that David not only seeks the Lord's path, but it also comes down to knowing that the Lord is able to deliver. When we are in those dark times, when we are in those confusing times, when we're in those times where we say, what am I to do? How do I get out of this? How did I get myself here? What am I going to do now? Understand that the Lord is able. It may be a big problem for us, but it's not a problem for God. It may be a dark time for us. It might be a training time for God in which he's like, here, I'm going to prove your character. Here, I'm going to test your faith. Here, I'm going to reveal and I'm going to work and I'm going to do something inside you. I'm going to begin continuing to change your heart that I might use it. In verse 15, David continues on. He says, my eyes are always on the Lord for he will pull my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me for I am alone and afflicted. The distresses of my heart increase. Bring me out of my sufferings. Consider my affliction and trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies. They are numerous and they hate me violently. Guard me and rescue me and do not let me be disgraced for I take refuge in you. May integrity and what is right watch over me for I wait for you. God redeem Israel from all its distresses. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, what you're going to see is there's a dominant theme throughout Psalm 25. And that's the idea of waiting. David mentions waiting upon the Lord in verse 3. It was mentioned again in in between verses 9 and, and 12. And then in verse 21, it's reiterated once more. Starting here in verse 15, we see the idea of David shifting his eyes and what he's looking to for help. He shifts his eyes where he's looking for help. His feet are in a net, he says, and he looks to the Lord. 
The idea is his, na- his eyes are now and forever fixed upon the Lord because he's able to deliver. He waits upon the Lord because he knows the Lord can deliver. When you know that the Lord is able to deliver, it's a natural response to wait upon him. One of the things that uh, I, I never understood about superhero movies, they get used to the superhero being around, don't they? They actually did a spoof movie on it, and I can't remember if it was actually good or not, because there's sometimes where I watch something and it turns horrible and I turn it off. But there was a point in time in which they, they were doing like a spoof of the superheroes and people were like doing randomly very dumb things. And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. I'll be saved. So-and-so will come in and swoop in and save. And like right before they walk in front of a bus, because they're not even watching and they don't even care, like they get saved and they're like, see, told you. Actually, I think it was a bad show because at some point the superheroes got all upset about it and they quit saving people. But when you know that one is able to deliver and that they will always be there, you start to trust in them alone. You don't look to anything else because you don't need to. No matter where you've walked, no matter what trap you've gotten yourself into, no matter what snares come up on your pathway, the Lord is able to save your feet. Look at all the, the ways that David described his trouble. He said, be gracious to me because I'm alone and afflicted. That to me speaks of someone who in their heart is, is, is feeling anxiety, worry, depression, doubt, fear. He says, I'm alone and I'm afflicted. This is someone who feels like they have no one else, no one they can depend on, no one they can turn to. They feel all alone and the, the troubles are just compounding upon them. He says, the distresses of my heart increase my heartache increases. My heartbreak increases. We've gone through a time where a lot of people lost a lot of loved ones. We've gone through, uh, whether it was through illness, whether it was through just lack of proper care during that time, or it was because, you know, politically everybody started disagreeing and people got split apart upon that. And, and, and the heartache increases. Where do we go with that? Consider my afflictions and my troubles. He says, forgive my sins. Maybe, maybe some of the troubles that we have are from our own choices, our own sins, our own walking in our own way. But still, you can turn to the Lord. He says, consider my enemies. They're numerous. They hate me violently. We can still take refuge in the Lord doesn't matter what problem, doesn't matter what choice you have to make, doesn't matter where you're at in life, what you feel stuck by, what you are unsure of or how to navigate. God is the one that you turn to. He's the one able to save you. He can deliver you. You may feel alone in your affliction. The Lord is there. Your heart's distresses increase. He can bring you out of your sufferings. He can forgive all your sins, all your sins. When your enemies are numerous, they hate you and they wish to do violence to you. He's your guard. He's your rescue. The Lord can deliver from loneliness. He can deliver from heartache. He can deliver from a broken heart. He delivers us from our regrets, from our despairs. It doesn't matter. The Lord can deliver you. So far in this great psalm, David has been talking to God, talking about God. And in these final verses, he's writing about keeping his eyes on God, even when surrounded by great troubles and distresses. And our hearts, may our hearts be touched as we read his closing prayer requests. In spite of all his serious trials, he firmly declared that he's trusting in God for help and deliverance. And when you know the Lord is able to deliver, then you will wait for the Lord and for his help. To wait is to quiet our hearts before him, seeking him with diligence, hoping in the Lord, waiting for him before we make choices. Should I buy this car? Should I not buy this car? Is this a good deal? Should I do this? Should I do that? Do I need to leave my job? Do I stay at my job? Do I get a different job? Do I change careers? How can I use my career to further your kingdom, God? 
How do I move? How do I do this? Where do I put my kids? Do I put my kids in public school still? Can I? Do I need to homeschool them? Do I put them in a private school? Do I work? Do I not work? Does our household need two incomes? There's so many different questions that we can have as we try to live out our life in a way that pleases the Father, that walks in His ways of righteousness, and we need to seek Him for those decisions. We don't make those decisions apart from Him, but we do it in confidence with Him. Try not to make any rash decisions. That's when we go in our own way. Part of receiving God's guidance is waiting upon him. If we think he's waiting too long to answer us, that's when we need to wait more. Present difficulty or even disappointment should not prevent us from seeking, trusting, and serving God. Just because we're going through a tough time doesn't mean, hey, I need to stop going to church or I can't serve in church right now because my mind's boggled with these other troubles that I'm dealing with. No, those are the times where we need to be serving. We need to stay busy because we, we're waiting upon the Lord, but we're going to continue waiting by doing the same things. When we trust that the Lord is able to deliver, it frees us up though to care for others. We might think, wait a minute, I have this that I have to deal with. How can I be focused on anybody else? How can I serve? How can I go and serve at church? How can I serve in ministry when I have this holding me down? When we trust the Lord, we give it to the Lord, and now we're free to serve others. Difficulty and confusion in the life of the believer can lead us to focus only on ourselves, and that is the worst thing that we can do. Focusing on ourselves, focusing on our own situation. And look at this remarkable example from David, who's dealing with a rebellion in a kingdom from his own son, where the people hate him. And what is he doing? He, he's praying that God would redeem the nation of Israel from his distresses. Hard times, difficult times, confusing times. They will come. That's a promise. That's a promise from Jesus. And they can come from our own sin or not. But when they come, we have to turn to the Lord and seek him and seek his path. That he would teach us, of course, in order to be taught. Of course, we have to remember this. In order to be taught, you have to be teachable. And we have to remain teachable. And here's a hint. I know is how the unteachable starts their sentences. Hey, have you considered doing this? Oh, I know. Have you thought about that? Oh, I know. Let me show you how to do it this way. No, no, I know. When we do that with the Lord, we, we're, we're unteachable. And we have to be open because the Lord sometimes uses people around us to speak into us. He uses his word and they will come to us with, it, with his word and we have to be teachable. Sometimes those who are lost at what to do and what direction to take, they say they don't know God's will or they say that they don't know where God is leading. The question is, is have you been following him so far? Have you been spending time in his word? Have you been learning his ways? Have you been learning to know what his paths are? Because his paths are always the path of righteousness. Not the path of ease, not the path of comfort, but the path of righteousness. Do you obey what you do know? Because God is not obligated to reveal or share his counsel with us, let alone if we're not going to obey the direction that he's already given us. But know this, in this psalm, we see a promise. All who fear the Lord will flourish in life. It says that the one who fears the Lord, in verse 13, he will live a good life. The one who fears the Lord will live a good life. But, 
Now we have to take that good life and I have to put a, a asterisk next to it. That does not exempt us from suffering and difficulty. It says we'll live a good life, not a perfectly fine life with no troubles and problems, but we will live a good life, a good, moral, upright life. In the middle of trials and troubles, you have no choice but to wait it out, right? How many of us can control any, anything that happens against us? So we have to wait it out, right? And so as we're waiting out in the middle of our trials and troubles, what we're doing is we're learning to wait upon the Lord anyway. And to trust that he's with you and that he'll never leave you. Each experience gives you new light to the hope that God is with you and that God will remain faithful. And that means that you can trust God and not disgrace yourself by trying to manipulate the situation. Just rest in the peace that God is in absolute control. And the first thing that we have to do when we don't know what to do, when we're trapped in that area of life, do we know Christ as our Lord and Savior? Have we come to him for the forgiveness of our sins, for the covering of our life, to make us righteous that we can stand before God, that we can stand before God forgiven of our sin, that he would be able to reveal to us and indwell us with his spirit that would lead us and guide us in all righteousness. And for those of us who have received Christ, may we remember the words of Paul. Colossians chapter two, verse six. So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. What that means is when you don't know what to do, don't turn to the world for their help. We continue to go to the one who laid his life down for us, paid the price for us, and will love us from now until forever if we give him our faith, our trust, our hearts, our hopes, and everything in him as Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, Lord. And Father, we just thank you that you have given us songs for our heart, Lord, because there are times where our heart says, I don't know what to do. But Lord, I thank you that you are a God who desires to be known and to make known your ways, your love, your faithfulness, your mercy. You are not a God who desires to watch your people walk around in the dark stumbling but that you would have us to walk in your light, Father God, and on your path as you lead us in all righteousness, all goodness, onto that difficult path that leads us to life everlasting. And Father, I pray for those of us that are here tonight. Give us the strength, Father God, to come before you humbly in the fear of you, Father God, not because we're afraid of you, but because you are awesome, Father, to behold, that you are holy, God. Lord, help us to see our sin as you see our sin, that we might see our Savior is greater than our sin. That we would know that you are able to deliver and that we can come to you, we can depend upon you, we can hope on you, we can wait upon you, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen.